podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The football hurts. Half hope being right hurts even more. Next, 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 next level. All right, this is the Talking Texas podcast. I'm Daniel. My name is Double H, aka Thanos. Is it a bit too early? Like, can you guys talk about this film in conversation, or is it too early because you might spoil it for people who give a? F- I mean, to, to be honest, there are a lot of people that have been very annoying and and are like, "Oh my gosh, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler!" So let's not go in so deep into it. But um, yeah, I have I did watch Infinity War pretty much opening day. So yeah, what's up, Carl? I'm Carl Anker. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking Tactics, Instagram Talking Tactics, Facebook Talking Tactics. Uh, follow us on SoundCloud. Leave Apple Podcast reviews. If it's five stars, we'll read it on the show. I don't think we got one unless you're in some remote part of the world that I haven't checked the, the Apple store there. So uh, the link is in the description of this podcast to do it in the easiest way possible. Kadeem, I will be leaving the times of the episodes or the times of the topics in the episodes um, in the description from now on. So shout out to Kadeem. Um, yeah, he was like, you know what? He was jeez, bloody yeah, hell! Man. Yeah, he was. He was like, sometimes I, I want to skip around in the podcast rather than listen to the whole thing. Listen all the way to through. the whole thing. Listen. I to would the rather thing. you listen to the whole thing the whole way through, but I do. No, get no, that. I would rather not listen, listen to the whole thing. Listen to yeah, no. but I, I guess some people want to listen to particular subjects. Yeah, well, I don't listen, listen to the, to the whole thing. thing. So. You guys got anything going on this week before we get started? Um. Well, basically, so it's um. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be doing the infamous banter box where me and the football banter show people will be filming ourselves as we watch the both Champions League games live and the Arsenal game live. Um, that should be on our YouTube lives as well as on video as we talk about stuff, live football, and react to the matches that happens. But a smacks. On the 6th of May, Sunday, from 8 o'clock. I would like you all to log on to BBC One Extra for a panel of which I cannot reveal the topic yet, but do that. It's going to be a pretty big thing. So what is it what is it involved? Is, is it sport or non-sporting? It is non-sporting. It is oh, in reference to an event that happened 25 years ago. Yeah, this Sunday. So join Call on the Radio this Sunday for a topic to be announced. So yeah, let's let's get this episode started. We're gonna do a mailbag episode this week, and then we'll you know divert into things Half Hope seems to want to talk about. Robin Putipat asked, "Question for Half Hope: Despite having to admit that you were wrong, would you be happy if Napoli and Marek Hamsik won Serie A?" Wait, wait, wait. How wait? How how was I wrong? Would you admitting that if I was wrong? I think that was said after Juventus lost to Napoli, <laughs> and then. <laughs> Um, next time, people listen to what, what the hell I say. <laughs> and this is not about me being arrogant because I'm the least arrogant person in the world. Carl is the arrogant dude. I'm the nice guy. So next time I actually make a statement, simply just listen to me because I know what the hell I'm talking about. I keep saying I'm the best football analyst on the planet. It's, it's just a fact. So when I told you that's not played, stood no chance of winning the Syria, you should have listened to me. And I said it after they won against Juventus. Now it's back to square one, and they're now four four points behind. If is going to win, win, win the Serie A, Napoli did not stand a chance. It's really depressing. So obviously last week, Napoli beat Juventus one 0 in the, one of the final minutes. Uh, it gets to one point at the top of Serie A. We're all waxing effusive of the fact that Napoli might win Serie A for the first time since 1990... 1980 something. No, it was, it was 1990. 1989 90 season, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
so we're all going, this might happen, this fine, you might break up the years of dominance from your man Juventus. Then, if, you know, I was talking loads about, oh, Juventus still have to play Inter Milan and run away from home. So this week, what happens? Juventus go off to Inter Milan, San Siro, win 3-2, last dash sort of thing. And then Napoli get absolutely smoked by Florentina. Reduce the 10 men and the... Oh, so depressing. <laughs> it, it de- depressing because of the football or because her folks right? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> the football the football hurts. Half hope being right hurts even more. Um, but life, eh? Yeah. I, I, I thought we were going to get a title race. That's why I question marked it last week because I didn't necessarily believe it. But I hoped. This question is from KevT29. Brethren, is Bakayoko a scam? The personification of fraudulence. I watched him meticulously today, and even my social football playing ass could have done better. What say ye? Is Bakayoko a scam? No, no. I've said this Not before. Not yet. Not yet. I've said this before. I, the key thing everyone should remember about Bakayoko is that he has a massive knee injury near the end of his season with Monaco. He is rushed back because Chelsea need coverage at centre midfield. Um, Bakayoko should not have been playing football full 90 minutes of football till December or November of this season. He's playing a full 90 minutes of football in August against Tom Hotspur. That was never going to run. Um, he's rushed back from injury. He's playing in an unfamiliar system as part of a three-man midfield. It seems to be, once again, when you, you know, we talked about this before with Southampton, how they kept removing parts of Southampton's defence and then they eventually realised it was Fonte, who was the guy who was talking to everyone. It very much seems that Bakayoko was helped a lot by Fabinho, basically mm-hmm. shielding the back four and telling him what to do. Yes, of course, you've got N'Golo Kante, who was fantastic at shielding your defence and making interceptions. But N'Golo Kante, you know, I don't like the slander much. N'Golo Kante doesn't quite strike me as the you go stand over there while I take care of this sort of player uh-huh. that Fabinho was. Uh, back, so Bakayoko is playing his very first full season in England. He's injured. He's 23 years of old age. He's playing in an unfamiliar system. He's playing in a system where Kante has to do so much work. Fabregas is knackered. And Bakayoko feels very much the odd one out. Uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Michael Hardy, Dian Duran, watches a lot of Chelsea home games this season. He says something that really strikes out is how Bakayoko looks very confused in transitions. Very much as if he doesn't quite know what job he's supposed to be doing. And that strikes me as... There seems to be an inefficiency in Chelsea's midfield. I, I par- partially I put some of that on Kante, uh, not Kante, but Antonio Kante, because he's played back at Yoko as like a six and eight. We've seen him at ten. We've seen him at like can't call him a seven, but like a six and a half. Like he's played so many midfield positions. I don't know necessarily, as you say, if he knows what he's supposed to do. I do feel like when. Uh, Fabregas is on the field. As you say, I don't think N'Golo Kante is necessarily a leader. Like, like he points like, yo, you stand over there, don't move. But Fabregas, he kind of points to where he's supposed to go and he kind of helps guide him, guide him through games when they play three in midfield. But yeah, I just, I, I feel like he was put in a, a lose-lose situation in a way. As you say, he's new, he's in a new country, he's in a new team. Um, he has the knee injury, had knee surgery in the summer. Then he's thrown into like Spurs um, away. Like, it, it was just a really, really bad situation um, overall. Plus the $40 million price tag, 
Chelsea fans are already like, why are we letting go of Chalaba? Why are we letting go of Loftus-Cheek? We have Ben Gickel alone. We have all these midfielders. Why did we buy this Bakayoko guy who not many people knew that much about it, save for, you know, a couple of Champions League games last season. So um, I don't think he's been given the benefit of the doubt. He hasn't done himself any favors necessarily. He hasn't been good, but yeah, it's just a bad situation. I don't know if he's a fraud in that way. I feel like he's young still. He should have time to develop. At least Conte's. I wish Chelsea had this much faith in their own youth players. Like, <laughs> like Bakayoko's been given so many, so many, so many chances. He's played probably over 30 games this season, despite being bad. If you give those 30 games to Ruben Loftus-Cheek, how does that go? Like, I would, I would have rather seen that as someone who feels like Ruben Loftus-Cheek has heaps of potential. But, yeah, have hope. How are you feeling about this one, man? Is he a scam or is it just is it too early to tell? It's the wrong system. I think Bakayoko, which I think especially with what Carl was um, saying, is that um, the setup and the system just does not suit Bakayoko. Like there are there are players who need to be in a certain system, and there are players who can just exist in any system. Like Mbappe is a player. Mbappe or Bernardo Silva can put them anywhere, and they'll still do what what what, what they do. But I think someone like Bakayoko. With Fabinho there, Yadim's system, which was very particular, where everybody knew their role, he just fits the way in which they moved the ball around and the way that they, they were structured. He just fit that a lot better than Chelsea. And remember, it's a Chelsea team who haven't been playing well as a team. So again, the system is not working and it's not as well old as Yadim's system last season. But, but as, as I look at him, it just looks as if it's 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 just not it's not a, a right fit and. I'll be very surprised if he stays next season because it looks like if Conte is going to leave, and if Conte leaves, I think Abramovich is going to go back. Let's let's be a lot more offensive. So you're looking at it as Sari. Maybe if you bring in Yadim, possibly, but I think he will look to get a much more offensive coach to make Chelsea a lot more attacking and a, a much more attacking forward team. I don't think Bakayoko can work there because again, if you're in a much more attacking team, the only role that Bakayoko can play is a guy who sits. And you know stops and pretty much plays as, as the DM. I don't think he can do that as well as um, Kante can. Mm, so I, I could extend. I could extend the topic, but let's not. Um, Harry Botler asks Gareth Crooks, "Quote: Fernandinho is everything Pogba should be." Oh right, my! Wait a minute. A, a question is coming that I feel like we'll laugh. By this, he means a black man who doesn't do anything showy. Oh, I assume who doesn't have fun hair by having none and isn't on social media much. Is Garth Crooks in the sunken place? For me, um, I think Garth Crooks, man, I think he's one of those guys where I think his toe is in the sunken place, <laughs> but and his other foot is like in the normal world. But I think definitely he's I think more and more of his of his body seems to be subdued in the sunken place because <laughs> this is one of the most disgraceful conversations I've ever, I've ever yeah, had. I mean, because he said a few things where I'm like, Yeah, bro, you seem slightly lost and no, he's not. Absolutely not. Garth Brooks is a lovely human being. He's a gentleman. He knows about his reputation on Team of the Weeks. And I know I have a very good reputation that he plays up to those things just to uh, help garner certain attention. Uh, Garth Crooks is absolutely not in the sunken place. Garth Crooks is known for very, very bizarre Team of the Weeks in his BBC columns. Okay. Very often he picks unorthodox formations and mm. basically he doesn't follow regular 
rules of choosing a starting 11. He simply goes, who scored this week? And let's find ways to crowbar them in. There's a very good quote. I think this is during one of the final Fergie seasons where the comment was he was at someone's house and he wanted to put Robin Van Persie into his team of the week. And he was holding a glass of champagne and his uncle took the glass of champagne out and went, you meant Wayne Rooney, didn't you? And he goes, oh, yes, I did. And then he went home and he put Wayne Rooney in instead of Van Persie. And that was that. That was the only comment as to why Wayne Rooney was in the team of the week. Garth Cooks is a gem. He's not in the sunken place. And if you scroll down a bit further down, Harry Bottler apologizes for even saying such a ludicrous thing. Can you can you read his tweet? Uh, actually, ignore this. No need to talk about Garth's stupid opinions anymore or why people dislike Pogba. Pogba, we know why, and you guys have done it enough already. Sorry. My real question is, West Ham have let him more than three goals in 15 games this season. Why are West Ham considering keeping David Moyes? They are? Yes. So David Moyes... <laughs> David Moyes was on a six-month contract with West Ham when he replaced Slavin Bilic. There is current conversation about Moyes wanting to stay. Um, the current, but apparently, a sticking point is director of football. So West Ham are looking. I said to be looking for a director of football model. David Moyes has said if he stays as manager full time past the end of the season, he would like them to forego the director of football meth- uh, method and just put him in charge of transfers. To which I say that is a ridiculously naive approach, especially when you consider the players David Moyes signed uh, in his previous season at Sunderland. Um, there's only so many times a man can sign Stephen Pienaar before it starts getting a bit silly. Um, why are West Ham considering signing David Moyes, even though he hasn't improved the team that much? It's because West Ham are crippled by a lack of long-term thinking. And if West Ham have a choice, if they can save money in the short term, they tend to make that decision to save money in the short term. At least that's how Tom Victor explains it to me. Okay, next question. Uh, Wolves coming up into the Prem. The MD saying they're going to make a statement. What do you expect from Wolves next season from Russ? George Mendes. Some very interesting George Mendes loan deals. I expect Renato Sanchez to be there. If we're going to give Renato Sanchez another go, I expect Renato Sanchez to be somewhere around there. Yeah, I I think, you know... Wolves have been playing some of the best football in the championship. You know, they have they have Champions League level personnel in players like Ruben Nevers. They've scored a hat full of goals. They've conceded very few goals and they play Premier League in a Premier League friendly style. And I think they'll be a, a valued asset to the Premier League. I think if you look at the dirge that is in the bottom eight and you consider some of the teams that are looking likely to escape this season who might be in trouble next season, I think Wolves will, Wolves will make a case for being anywhere between... 16th to 12th next season. I don't see them going back down. Not with <laughs> Mendes quietly holding all the power. Um, no, no. What's it called? The, the name of the coach? Nuno. Really good manager. Really good manager. I mean, he did a lot of good work. I think it was with FC Porto he was with. But Lukman, very good manager. Very good manager. You know, a potential future Portuguese manager maybe in the future. And I just think like, you know, as um, Carl was saying, the way that they play, the way that they are, they are structured, unlike a Huddersfield, I just feel like if once they're in the Premier League, they should consolidate, and I don't see them going b- below 14th or 15th. I see that them like you know, a ceiling maybe 11th and lowest maybe like 14th. 
So. I think it's interesting they were in the championship, and as Carl pointed out, they have like players like Ruben Neves. Who are they going to get now that they're in the Premier League? What kind of players do, might they attract? Uh, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. I don't know, but I'm interested to see their kind of transfer movements this summer. Plenty of good quality, both in championship sides who aren't in the playoff race anymore. Players that are going to go down into the championship and players that are in... Like um, like like players like do you think they could collect maybe like Shakiri from Stoke? I don't know. Well, on West Gazi, Brom, but... Gazi, when West Brom go down, Gazi will be there. Uh, Speaking of West Brom, uh, are we gonna? Sh- I don't think there's a question here about him, but Darren Moore undefeated. Amazing, amazing. This guy deserves I mean, like yeah, if they would have sacked Alan Pardew three months ago, with or if they didn't hire him at all, that probably would have been the better option. Darren Moore now has as many points with West Brom as Alan Pardew did in 18 games. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know about someone who was there and and truly believes in the club and the collective, and and a self-aggrandizing insert insult like Alan Pardew. <laughs> um, I was like, what are you gonna call? <laughs> uh, something that particularly stuck out was they were talking to Darren Moore after the end of the game, and they uh, uh, they said if he wants to keep the job afterwards and he said it's not about me it's about we which is oh, a bit it's a bit trite it's a bit trite but i i did i did enjoy how yes west Brom are more likely than not going to get relegated but i think how he's managed to get rid of the bad feeling at that club in such a short space of time and got them feeling good about watching football again is quite nice i i'd, I'd be nice if they if they gave him a two-year contract but also i wouldn't be surprised if they went back for pewdis because why not or what's his face got sacked from Sunderland, Chris Coleman. Maybe that might be an option for them. Uh, it's just it's on foot like hire more black managers, guys. It would make me feel good, you know. Uh, Boris Mason, how should Arsenal approach the Atletico game on Thursday? Go at them from the off, or sit back and contain what little attacking threat they have, and go at them in the second half. And a thought on Cavs versus Raptors. So a little basketball, but how do we think? Arsenal and Arsene Wenger are going to approach the Atletico game. Well, we know they have to score. I think the fact they didn't win that game when they had 10 men for 80 minutes was a disgrace. Then conceding the goal the way they did with Koscielny doing God knows what. And then Griezmann scores and they get that crucial away goal. The fact that you guys are even in this situation, speaking of Arsenal, is very Arsenal. They they screwed up, man. Just They screwed up. So, it was a vintage Arsenal performance. Exactly. Yeah. That's, what I, that's why I call it very, very Arsenal. I, I kind of want to have a discussion about how Koscielny was never world-class or never even that great. But I'll leave it. How are they going to approach the game against Atletico on Thursday, knowing that they have to score? Uh, I imagine they're going to go out the same way they went out in the home leg. Like They have to score. And they hope that you know one of those chances eventually does fall to Lacazette and it does go in rather than... There's six or seven. They had six presentable chances in that game and they hit the post and they need to be more clinical. The, the, the system they had wasn't particularly bad. It's just that Atletico Madrid are masters of defending with 10 men and sucking you in and spitting you out. Do you, do you know the, the cliche that it's, it's harder to play against 10 men? I feel like Atletico is the only team where I legitimately believe that, where they actually love the idea of, look, it's 10 men and you know nobody passes, basically. Something I found particularly interesting um, was how they time wasted. It's something you don't see too often in a football game, basically a team with down to 10 men and how they really slow the clock down. So every single tackle, every single foul an Atletico player got, a player would go to ground 
and then there would be someone to crowd around the referee to protest the fact that the player had gone to ground and say, come on, referee, where's the free kick? Um, something I found particularly interesting was how Diego Godin was arguing about the position of certain free kicks for both Arsenal and Atletico Madrid. So he would make a tackle on, say, Aaron Ramsey. It'd be an Arsenal free kick. And then Godin would pick up the ball and go, where, where is the free kick? Is it here? 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 Which would really slow the game down and really rattle Arsenal. It is a skill. Defending is a skill that I think there's probably only four or five sides in Europe that can defend with their backs against the wall to that level and that level of discipline. And I think Atletico is one of them. I think Juventus is one of them. And then the other two, well, I'm not going to reveal those. (laughs) I still believe that it's Arsenal's destiny to win the Europa League. (laughs) And that's like, literally, that's, I mean, like, there is no football reason as to how Arsenal should get anything apart from dust. Weren't you the guy last season that was saying that uh, it was Wenger's birthright to get top four? He was. And that yeah. didn't happen. So mm-hmm. no, no, but but it's it's not it's it's no this is it's it's, it's their destiny. It is their <laughs> destiny. Uh, so. while, while we're here on Arsenal, nobody asked the question. But uh, the way they lost the game against United, Carl, that was pretty uh pretty crappy. I'm sure it felt no, good no, for no, you. No, that was a weird game, man. Like, you know, there was literally no atmosphere in that game. I think that Arsenal really didn't give a crap. And also, there was a whole procession with um. Wenger. Ferguson giving Wenger that whole award and Mourinho coming out. So it was, I think it was much more of a commemorative affair for Wenger. It was like a, it's like a testimonial in a way. Like yeah. it felt yeah. weird, you know. But Fellaini, how, how did you feel about Fellaini winning you three points, Carl? Oh, uh, I called him at Elm Tree after he got the hit the post and had the offside Very chance. Very rude. Very rude. He's, uh, he's more like a palm a tree. What would I say? Uh, it was it was very bizarre. So obviously, I was at West Ham last week. Uh, and then this week, again, the first 45 minutes seemed very bizarre, almost as if... Sorry, 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 Carl, you were at West Ham, the stadium. No, I was at Arsenal West Ham. Oh, oh, okay, so, oh, sorry, because I thought I said, man, West Ham, I was like, have you checked your skin soon? I don't think that's what you're going to be All right. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Um, what was I trying to say? Since Arsene Wenger has announced his departure, uh, the first 25 minutes of Arsenal performances have looked as if it was a preseason friendly. Uh, the quality of Manchester United Arsenal was quite poor. Mm. Um, it was nice that Wenger, you know, did a Wenger and trialed his youngsters. Maitland Niles looked very, very good. Um, the new Greek centre back, uh, his name, I cannot quite get my tongue around yet. I'm not even going to try it. So, oh, come on, this man, this is when you went to save me. Koshyon is trash. Mavropanos, Dinos, the 20-year-old centre-back, he seemed very, very good. Um, it's quite amusing to me how Arsenal are playing very similar to how Manchester United were playing at the end of last season. Manchester United, similar situation, we're not going to yeah. finish in the top four and decide to basically tank the league and focus on the Europa League. And now Arsenal are doing it. So, but do you, you know? Do you know the problem? Like you guys, who who did you play in the uh, in the semifinal? Was it like Celta, Celta Vigo? Vigo. Yeah, yeah, you guys got Celta Vigo and Ajax. Like Arsenal are trying to do this with Atletico Madrid and then perhaps Marseille in the final. I'm, I'm, in a, in I'm, a final I'm in France, Marseille are playing, man. Guys, I think I I'd put my money on Marseille actually winning the whole thing. But, yes, you, as you, Arsenal's destiny. Tell- You've been telling us that it's Arsenal. It's Arsenal destiny. Now put, put our money on Marseille. There is there is destiny and there's football. Destiny, Arsenal win it. Football, I, I think Marseille will win it. So. <laughs> You're such a skip, Bayless. 
Like he just hedges his bets like no like nowhere else. Like I hate fuck. Okay. Thoughts on Cavs versus Raptors. The, the the fact that the Cavs needed seven games to be a team with Victor Oladipo and Lance Stevenson. If no no, if LeBron had gotten knocked out in that first run, I mean that would have been embarrassing. But put it this way, I believe all of the games that the Cavs beat the Pacers were like by a few points. So the fact that first of all, you went through seven games, you only beat them by a few points in the games that you won against them. A dude called Lance took meats out of you, you guys. <laughs> you Everything that, that Raptors should sort them out in five, but Raptors are the biggest underachievers and chokers out there. I don't care whether they finish. This first. is this is true. Like you, you can't trust the Raptors, but and you gotta stop disrespecting Lance Stevenson, by the way. But oh, no, no, he's amazing. No, no, no. He he he's the best troll in, in the world. He's the best I, troll in the world. I, I, I don't want to get stuck on NBA football <laughs> podcast. So, Carl, if you got any NBA, hit, hit me with it quick, and then we can move on. Yeah, I, I I don't see LeBron making the Eastern Conference Finals, but LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. So, what? <laughs> <I mean? laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I, I don't understand this, Carl. What the hell, Michael <laughs> Jordan? Are you out of your mind, <laughs> Michael? You're, you're telling me that he's better than Michael. Are you? Are you crazy? <laughs> Michael Jordan, he never allowed keep it moving. to go to a game. Keep it I'm sorry, keep I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but like he never allowed a single series to go to a game seven. You must be crazy. Anyway, anyway, okay. Uh what <laughs> needs to be done in order to combat price hikes for season ticket holders? The inflation is becoming a more prominent problem with each passing season from pack to mouse. So how do we combat high season ticket prices? It's 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 can't be because people are useless and people Why you keep asking me questions like this. I'm an I'm not an economist. What you want me to do? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> How are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? How are you, are you, want me to fix, you want me to fix your way for you? You want me to fix all the money in the stadium? I cannot I cannot come and die for you. Free. <laughs> the best way, to, you just got to have the FA issue something regarding what teams do with their Premier League money. Basically, you get, hey, your, broad, you get your broadcast money and then you go, instead of spending this 12 million on a mediocre left back from the entry visa we're going to put this towards away tickets so away tickets are capped at 22 quid which is what swansea did in one of the last gary monk seasons how do you guys feel about wembley being sold potentially is it like 800 million do you feel like money could be put from that sale into reducing season ticket prices if you're the fa or something like that i don't know what Shadid khan he owns the jacksonville jaguars fulham fc and a Car parts manufacturer. Wait a minute. Okay, yeah. Fulham is West London. Wembley is West London. Would Fulham then play their home games at Wembley? No. Uh, the question there is if he buys Wembley. So he has made eight hundred a bit of eight hundred million to buy Wembley Stadium. Oh, um, he's gonna make it the NFL. He's gonna try to move the Jaguars to London. Possibly. Why, why else would the Jaguars play like in London regularly? This he's gonna try to move a team to the UK. That's Which, what this is about. Uh, it causes very interesting things as to what happens to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is also being designed for NFL. Hmm. So that's an interesting little point. Right, what else are we going to talk about? Uh, why Wembley? How do I feel about it? Mm. Due to my political views, I don't particularly like prioritisation of publicly owned things. Agreed. Um, wait, wait, however, wait, wait. Are you a lefty or a righty? So your political views, are you a lefty or a righty? I'm left. Ugh. <laughs> I'm left to have hope, so I'm 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 independent, so you're an idiot, that's what you are. 
I'm independent. See, so you, you, you guys are in boxes, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a, if a free man. Okay, Kanye. Uh, okay, Kanye. Call <laughs> Somebody asks us about Kanye. We'll get to what this change. What the purchase of Wembley Stadium could do. It could, in theory, mean the England national team travels all up and down the country, much like they did in 2001 when Wembley was being built. So instead of England, the England national team just being based in London, they can go to Old Trafford for games, use the Etihad, use Anfield, use uh, Villa Park, which could really help connect the England national team with the populace again, because I feel as if there's a great apathy there. Uh, the money from the 800 million could go into St. George's or it could possibly go into whatever the FA wishes to do. So even though it doesn't quite go along with my political views, it could be a good thing, especially if he gets rid of Wembley Way, which is one of the worst things about modern football there is. Next actually, question. I, I actually like the idea of maybe England playing in like Stamford Bridge or Old Trafford, I guess would make more sense because it's like 80,000, however many people. That That would be an interesting idea. I kind of like it. Because it isn't like the one of the critiques with Wembley, like it's it's a dead place. It is a non-place. It's a nihilism. Uh, it's from an anthropologist. A non-place basically holds no... It's transient. It's like a coffee shop in a train station. No one in Wembley goes to Wembley because they want to be at Wembley. It's just simply a place you go through. Hmm. Did, 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 did you guys go to like the old Wembley? Did it still have that same vibe? Or is this particular something particular to the new stadium? As a child of the 90s, I unfortunately never got to go to Old Wembley with the Twin Towers. Greg Jenner asks, if Mark Hughes had managed City and Pep had managed Stoke, where would the current teams have finished in the league? Stoke would have finished... 10th and 11th. Um, 12th, and City would have finished 5th. Uh, City would have finished 9th, because that's where Mark Hughes' sides nearly always finish. Um, something... We've talked about this before, about how statistically speaking, Mark Hughes is the epitome of Premier League mediocrity. Basically, regardless of what team he gets, you give him Manchester City, you give him Blackburn, you give him Fulham, you give him Stoke, um, his sides end up more or less performing the same output, conceding roughly the same amount of goals, scoring the same amount of goals, conceding the same amount, scoring the same amount, and roughly getting the same amount of points. Um, obviously, this is a massive outlier this season, but yeah, Hughes isn't great. And I think if you gave Hughes that back four of what Danilo, Mangala, Fabian Delph, Otamendi, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have Manchester City finishing fifth. I'd have them finishing a lot lower. Mm. Um, with De Bruyne, with Aguero, all those guys. Come on, man. It's purely hypothetical. If you just completely remove Pep Guardiola's influence from Manchester City and you put Mark Hughes there instead, come on. What was the last time Mark Hughes finished with Manchester City? He got two wins in 11 successive Premier League matches in 2009. <laughs> why, does, why does he still get jobs? Because he was a good footballer and people think it'll just happen? Much like okay. he's part of the old guard. It's him, Pardew, uh, Sam Allardyce of this old guard of old Brit- of uh, middle-aged British managers. Who... Do you include Hodgson in that? Or is he no, Hodgson is, Hodgson is too old. And also Redknapp too old as well? Redknapp's retired. Well, Redknapp's retired until you offer him the brown envelope. Allegedly. But we're besides the point. Um, <laughs> why people hire Mark Hughes? Uh, just a chronic lack of imagination. Uh, the, we have two more questions. They're not really questions. Oh, Pep um, Garlow was Stoke would finish eighth because Pep Garlow is a good coach. Obi, uh, rate KOD. So this is J. Cole's album. Uh, the first couple times I listened to it, I didn't like it. I'm warming up to it, though. I'm, I'm starting to understand where what he was trying to do with it. I think he was being a bit subversive with it. I, I need to listen to the J. Cole album a few more times to give you like an actual proper review of it. 
But yeah, it's it's not as bad as I thought it was at the start. But it's not his I best work you. still. It's not his best work still. Like nothing's gonna beat the mixtapes. But that's more of a product of my age and the moment I was in when I was listening to those mixtapes rather than. I mean, um, interesting album. I think it's one of those things that. What's the name of that one where he's sitting on on the roof of a house? Forest Hills Drive. You see that one. I don't listen to that album in full. I listen to specific tracks. But this one, you have to listen to the full album. I think this works better as an album because it's more seamless and everything flows through better. So it's it's better as a whole, whereas the Forest Hill Drives is much more about singles and it doesn't really work as well as an album as this one does. I think this one has this this one it's it's, it's a vibe. Once you're just in that kind of chilled out 90s rap, mellow, J Dilla kind of vibe, you you put this on and and, and it's it's it works really well. You see, Forest Hills Drive is a building's roman though. What's what would be the translation? It's a it's a character story. It's a life story. Mm. It, it takes J Cole from his birth. I think the first track is like his birthday, and then it ends somewhere where like he's a grown man discovering that like love is the answer or whatever the case may be. So that that album does have a story, but yeah, I just I need to listen to this one more. I'm not really I just, just like the beats and the flows. They're just kind of because you're such a huge J Cole fan, <laughs> and how you were saying about how. Look, but can this guy just stop? Just, just, just get a a feature with his no singing ass. <laughs> like, He's look, man. Jake, I I love when J Cole raps. I have the same argument with Drake. Like when Drake raps, I love it. But there's just something monotonous about Cole that he makes his own beats. Like it, it's just so samey that it annoys me. Producer, I think if he gets an executive producer, a proper producer, basically he will never ever make a classic album. Without he, a quality producer, it's never he, gonna he, happen. And here he can he can do it. There's a classic album there. There is a classic he, album there because he, he's too good. Yeah, I'm, I'm a J. Cole fan, but he doesn't have a classic album in the same way that Nas has Illmatic, that Hove has Mm-mm, you know no. Blueprint, Black Album. Like he doesn't have it. Next question. Um, rate Kanye. I, I don't know what to say about Kanye, man. <laughs> he's that single. Is he, is he, I don't care what anyone says. That single, what's it called? Lift yourself. It's it's hilarious, man. Oh, poopity scoop, scoop diddy poop, poopity scoop. That's a movie. Sorry, like it's hilarious. Ah, call, 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 call. I like. Talk I like to us about movie. Kanye, man. I know you're a Kanye fan. Talk to us about Kanye. My God, you're a, you're a Kanye fan. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, man. He's, he's, he 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 has nothing left. He, all he has to offer. Twitter right now is unremitting idiocy. And uh, yeah, I was done with him after he tweeted free, uh, free Bill Cosby. He tweeted Bill Cosby innocent last year. And I went, this guy. Car Kelly too. <laughs> Let's just, yeah, okay. This is getting into a weird place. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Champions League. Is there really any point? Like we have a Liverpool Madrid final, no? It's it's Liverpool Real Madrid will be playing the 2018 Champions League final, which isn't that bad for a neutral. All right, but Liverpool, Jordan Anderson, Jordan Anderson and Dejan Lovren. If Henderson Jordan Henderson lifts the Champions League <laughs> trophy, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I might just destroy my television. Like, could could you imagine him holding the trophy really low and then, oh, hey, like, no, Lovren, Lovren could win the Champions League. Lovren could win the Champions League. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's, that's lovely. <laughs> So are we are we going for Liverpool and Real Madrid final, or do you think Bayern Munich and Roma could spoil the party? Roma have no chance. Well, Roma have a little chance, 
Yeah, go two away goals. Bayern have a bigger chance than Roma. I think nobody would disagree with that. Uh, but, they, but Roma have to score three without conceding. Do, do you know how many injuries Bayern have and they're going to the Bernabeu? For, for Roma, man, they are they, pretty good in Rome. You can't do miracles twice in like three weeks or four weeks, whatever the space is. Like They're not going to do that again. Chelsea did it in 2012, didn't they? We never had to score three. Well, except yeah. Napoli, but that, we never had to do it again. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine Roma doing that again. If they, I mean, I'm going to watch, but, you know, I can't imagine it. But those Bayern injuries, as you say, like Robin, Alaba, Vidal, uh, yeah. Boateng, Neuer, I think Neuer is probably still out. Like It's unfortunate that the time that Bayern should have won against Real Madrid was last season, but they're not in the position to beat them, I don't think, this year. Yeah, it, it, it just seems to be one too many injuries. And now, likelihood passes to Real Madrid, who give him credit. You know, People who say Zinedine Zidane is merely a clapman's manager. He has developed a pre-natural sense for how to change a big game on the fly. And maybe that comes from... You know, he was one of the greatest footballers of his generation and therefore knows how to read a game very well. But he's getting very, very good at substitutions and late stage. Oh, that's not working. Let's play Vasquez here and let's do this. Oh, no, Bale isn't working. Let's do this. Let's do this. So his 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 ability to notice the mistake that he's made or that his team is making, I do find interesting that he'll just yank off Bale and Benzema and put on Asensio and Vasquez or mm. Isco. And, oh, no, and, and, and he has the license to do this because he's, he's he is who he is. His name is his name. He can do what he wants, and players will just accept it, whereas another manager might do that, and the players might look around and think, hey, like who is this guy thinking he could do this to me? But it's Zidane, so they kind of just accept it. Like if, if Zidane can make these adjustments while he's actually learning how to really manage a top-tier football club, I think – this whole, you know, Zidane doesn't do anything. He's just living off having one of the best squads in the world. That might not live too much longer if we keep seeing these adjustments and his his naturation as a as a football actually, coach. Wait, actually, Danny, was it wasn't it you that's criticized him for just being a dude who just Yes. I'm so sure there's tape. I'm not gonna apologize as yet. Like he still has the best squad in the world, but I'm seeing things that are making me question my original uh prognosis. Yeah, something that's particularly interesting about Real Madrid is how they've essentially managed to beat luck. I've used this term before in regards to talking about transfers. Is it, Certain clubs don't have to worry about beating the casino because they have so much money, they are the casino. And it seems as if Real Madrid are very good at predicting the coin toss now. They, they're just so clinical and so able to grind out victories in knockout tournaments. Yeah, their league performance hasn't been great. Let's, let's spend a small diversion here to talk about Barcelona, who look likely to win La Liga unbeaten and do the double, and yet still count this season as an underachievement, which I find is remarkable. Um, but yeah, all credit to then And I said Bayern were my pick to win the Champions League. These injuries have now led me to believe Real Madrid in my pick. So that's that. Did, all right, let's 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 have this discussion. All right. Um, now the the World Cup is coming, and we always talk about the World Cup cycles, right? Do you guys feel the game is kind of just dead in this moment, and like the World Cup is going to be kind of a breath of fresh air? Because if we look at this cycle that we've been through since the 2014 World Cup, Bayern have won Bundesliga four straight times. Juventus are going to win Serie A four straight times. 
Barcelona have won three of the last four La Ligas. Real Madrid seem favorites to win three or four Champions Leagues. PSG three out of four. PSG have won three out of four in France. Chelsea have won two out of four in England with Man City. Obviously, Leicester and Monaco are the two outliers here. But it seems like this cycle has been very dead, and I feel like people are getting kind of sick of the monotony. What do you mean by very dead? It's just the same teams are winning the leagues over and over and over again, and it feels monotonous, like the monotony of leagues. And even the Champions League, which isn't supposed to be like this, but it is just because of the dominance of Real Madrid, It's just, there's a monotony to the game. And I'm wondering if, if you guys think that maybe this World Cup will breathe kind of fresh life into football. Hopefully. I'd say these last four years have very much seen a further increase in the gap between rich and poor in football, between the haves and the have-nots. Mm. Listeners to the podcast will know I shared an article from Rory Smith talking about how it's not even the top five leagues that are experiencing this shift in one team just utterly running away with the league over and over and over again. It's happening in Ukraine. It's happening in Switzerland. It's happening in... Greece? Maybe not. To a lesser extent. Basically, if you're like, if you're a Bate Borisov and you're the one team that gets to go to the Champions League every single season, you get to the Champions League group stage, you get completely washed by the three other teams in the group. But you have so much money from the group stage that you can completely dominate your domestic league. Which causes its own problem. I think that's definitely a shift that we've seen in football. England is always going to be England and have weird incidences because ridiculous tribalism. But I'd also say that these last four years have seen some of the most interesting learnings in both what's going on on the pitch, what's going on in the dressing room, and what's going on in our media than we've perhaps ever seen. And maybe this is me being a bit silly because these are the only four years that I've been writing about football every single month or whatever. Um, but I think our understanding of how football works and our understanding of talking tactics and whatnot <laughs> has improved immeasurably in these last four years. So I find that particularly interesting. Like In 2014, could you really articulate why Van Gaal went to the World Cup playing a 3-5-2? No. Now, could you please explain to me how Antonio Conte's 3-4-2-1 system works? Probably, yeah. Like we've all become better. <laughs> if we've all works. become we've all become better consumers of football. So, and I also think like the like this season of Champions League, the knockout ties have been phenomenal. Um, last season had some amazing games as well. So I think the gap between the haves and the have-nots have made some leagues particularly non-interesting. But if you you know look underneath the bonnet, I think there's plenty of stuff to look at. Uh, I'm really enjoying Burnley this season purely because of the weird way they defend. What 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 was that called again? Damn. There's no there's no term for it because it's just not been invented before. It's, this is like a new way of how they de- of like defending. Um, yeah, the World Cup will be a nice palate cleanser. I'm I'm looking forward to World Cup. I'm looking forward to seeing what teams are gonna try doing stuff like the the inverted fullbacks when your team is in possession. The Pep Guardiola start. I'm looking forward to seeing what teams are gonna play a four three at the back. I'm looking forward to seeing what teams are gonna play a old fashioned four four two. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what a World Cup looks like without Italy or the Netherlands. Mm. I want to know what Panama are going to do. I'm, you know, I'm always going to, look, I'm always going to look forward to World Cup. Um, I'm also going to look forward to like the economic effects of this World Cup. I think this is going to be one of the very first World Cups where brands understand how to use social media properly. Whereas last time, humans knew how to use social media, but I don't think the brands did. So I want to enjoy that. Well, look, it's it's what I've been saying for the last few years is that club football is screwed. And the FFP and those people like that, they, they don't want to bring in proper parity. And it is 
scary and just screwed up that a team can win a, a league title six years in a row or seven years in a row. I, just, I, I find that's just incredible. Like, it's, it's, it's messed up. And there is no argument anybody can give me that Bayern and Juventus can't win their league titles three or four more years in, in a row. It, do you guys actually think it's conceivable that we could see like a team win their league for a decade in what's meant to be 100%, a top yeah. league? 100%. 100%. Um, I mean, Celtic are on seven now, and they look no in, no in insight, providing they can keep their managers ticking over nicely. Is it, is it what's his face um, going to take charge of Rangers? Gerard. Uh, it's looking likely. Um, <laughs> That's going to be fun. Uh, self seven, and they steal their seventh league title this weekend after beating Rangers five 0 which is <laughs> that's that's definitive. Um, Bayern Munich are on six. Juventus are on seven. Uh, Juventus are approaching seven. Bayern Munich are on six, and what's interesting about Bayern Munich is they're swapping managers again, so they're getting the man from Aiden Frankfurt. Nico Kovac. Kovac, yeah. Yep. Uh, that, could see, that could be potentially interesting because Schalke are coming back. Dor- I think Dortmund are going to fall away. Schalke are going to return and Red Bull Leipzig are falling away. So maybe we'll see what happens there. I think Goretzka is going to Munich from Schalke. Like the, the, the way that Bayern just, as you, we've said this a bunch of times, the way they just cannibalize <laughs> the, the, the rest of the league, it makes it not even fair. Because That's like you, 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 you say Schalke's on the on the come up with Tedesco and those guys, but they still had to get rid of Draxler. They still had to get rid of Sane. They're going to get rid of Goretzka. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's just... and also Timo Werner. There are rumors that he may he may be joining Bayern as well, but only rumor. So it just is a bad taste. But I don't want to ruin your point, Carl. So I'd say none of these teams are going to approach. Some of these teams are more likely to approach ten than others, but. You know, there were. I think there were points in, and also very crucially, we don't know what is going to happen to football in three years from now. There was, you know, up until two thousand four, the only two teams that won the Premier League were Arsenal and Manchester United, and then we got Chelsea, and then we got Manchester City, and then we got Leicester, and now we have now we have Liverpool, a resurgent Liverpool again. You know, things change. Don't we think that like kind of the Premier League is an outlier in that way because all of the top teams have money, so they can generally compete on a certain level equally. So like yeah, City and Chelsea and United have way more have a lot of money, but not it's not that much more money relatively than say Spurs or Arsenal. So there is going to be more more competition and more variance in who wins that league. Whereas if you look at Serie A or Bundesliga, the top teams are the top teams and will Rich remain points. the top teams. Great points, man. So yeah. it's, it's 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 a matter of can you foster competition in those leagues? Otherwise, you nope. are going to get nine, ten, eleven. Like winning a league for a decade, it that can't even be fun for a Juventus fan. No Maybe, one's done. And, no one's done it yet. I think we're we're two or three years away from any of these things happening. So, okay. but these teams are halfway there. Like you got to say, like five in a row is mad. <laughs> I'm talking to you guys that much, but winning five leagues in a row is 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 crazy. And they're at six sevens now. And I'm just looking at it like, I, I hope this World Cup does something. I don't know what. Maybe it's new ideas, new approaches. FFP, something. man. FIFA this, and this, 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 I, I, I'm just thinking like this next cycle can't be four more years of Bayern, four more years of Juventus, four more years of... I hope, I, I hope something new is around all, the corner. All you're really talking about is Bayern, Nuke and Juventus. So Real Madrid and PSG, Barcelona. PSG, obviously. Real Madrid and Barcelona are always going to be to and fro in that title. That goes to my competitive financial kind of thing with the Premier League. Like the Barcelona and Real Madrid can compete financially, 
So they're always going to have that kind of joust. And then Atletico every once in a while might say, hey, what's up? Um, <laughs> We're circling the same point over and over and over. <laughs> I don't necessarily have anything else I want to talk about. Dan's point is, is look, his point is here. This is what I've been saying for years. The, the finances have to be sorted out. Napoli, Fiorentina, Inter Milan cannot compete with the might of Juventus. Monaco, Marseille, Lyon cannot compete with the financial power of, of, of PSG. Um, Dortmund, Schalke, Hoffenheim. Okay, well, but yeah, those guys can't compete with the might, the pull, and the financial power of Bayern. And until that changes, I'm sorry, Bayern, Juventus, and PSG are going to win it three, four times in a row. It's, I'm sorry, that's, that, that's, that's just reality. And if that happens, that is very, very bad for club for, for football. And it, 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 it leaves the bad. Champions League as kind of like the only safe haven of club football. But then we see Real Madrid doing what Real Madrid does. It's like, where, where do I turn for competitiveness other than maybe the Premier League, you know? We'll keep moving. Um, all right. So before we get to recommended reads, I don't even know if I want to do this. You're having arguments with people about Zidane oh, and Iniesta. It has been announced that Iniesta is leaving Barcelona after... His whole life. His whole life. Yeah, basically. And that sparked kind of this whole Zidane versus Iniesta thing once more. And I'm going to give you the floor. Like, what are are people saying and what are your response to what they're saying? I mean, obviously, after after I say what I need to say, I actually need to ask both of you guys this question because I asked the same question on the Hangout. My question was, who will Barcelona miss more? Xavi or Iniesta. So let's say a few years ago, Iniesta left and Xavi still stayed. How successful would have Barcelona have been in comparison to how they have been successful in the last few years without Xavi? So think about that. Now, my point is this, in, and I'm going to drop a video about it on my channel. Iniesta, one of the best midfielders of his generation, an amazing, amazing player, and um, and he's definitely inside the top 10. But to say he's either on the level of Zidane is ludicrous. Iniesta <laughs> is an amazing player. Zidane is a once in a generation. He is, let's see, their levels. Their levels. Zidane is a special, special talent. A special, rare talent that's once in a flipping generation. Like a player who can literally change the game by himself individually. And I just find it unfortunate that maybe it's because of people's youth, but, but then again, Drifty who is actually a few years older than me, so we're both in the same generation. He believed Iniesta was better than Zidane, and he knows Zidane, as I do. But I just think that it's madness and it's extremely disrespectful to put Iniesta on the same level as Zidane. I find it's rude and wrong and offensive. So are you saying that Iniesta isn't a generational talent? I'm trying to find the right word because, yes, he is, but he, he doesn't stand out in the same way that Zidane stands out. Of this cycle, let's say this generation is like 10 years. Between 2007 to 2017, Iniesta, top three midfielders of this generation, if we're going to call it 10 years. But my point is that I just think Zidane is a player that really stood out, that was really unique, that you could really say, no, no, this is an individual time. I I just think with Iniesta, he was part of two of the best teams that we've ever seen. And that's the key thing. That Spanish team that won three titles in a row, as a team and as a system, were better than any of the French teams that Zidane was on. Fact. Iniesta, in that Barcelona team, better than any any, any team Zidane has been on. Because that Barcelona team, I didn't like the tic-tac-toe, 
but Barcelona team is one of the best teams ever <laughs> as far as domination and the system dominating. So when you think about that, that Iniesta were part, was part of two of the best teams we've ever, I've ever seen and Zidane was not a member of any of the best teams we've ever seen because the Galacticos were just names. They were, they were not a great team. What does that tell you? But couldn't you make the argument that Iniesta is what made those teams so great? He, but he wasn't though. Like if, if, if we look at the um, Spain team, Xavi was extremely important. The pressing system was extremely important. David Villa. Do you know how many clutch moments that David Villa had? Yes, Iniesta scored that goal in the final. Without David Villa, Spain probably don't make that final because David Villa had a lot of clutch mo moments from the group stages all, all, all the way through. If you look at Barcelona, again, Xavi was very important. And are we going to forget the impact of Messi, of Edso, of Henri, of David Villa? So... Iniesta, I mean, anybody who told me that Iniesta was the reason why Spain and Barcelona were good, you're crazy. And you're denouncing the influence that Xavi had and the influence that Guardiola and um, Del Bosque had. The French team, and people need to understand this, forget about the, the names. Yes, I see those names. That team did not function well. Hence why, when you look at that 2016, they were coached by one of the biggest bricks of all time, Raymond Dominic, who was a, a bona fide <laughs> brick. So... Zidane was literally carrying that team on his shoulders because that team just wasn't functional because Dominic was a crap coach who did not understand the tactics. He just stood there and the teams had to coach them themselves. And that was seen in the, sorry, in the 2008 Euros when Dominic was there, the players actually coached them, them themselves because they, they, because they didn't respect Real Madrid to Dominic. So that's why I used 2006 and even the Real Madrid team, again, who were just a bunch of egos that didn't really have a system. As well, Zidane had to do more as an individual and had to stand out more because those teams did not function well. I just want you to express your, your opinion. Um, to the question about Xavi or Iniesta, mm. because we have the example of what Iniesta did with um, Barcelona post-Xavi, I don't know if that's necessarily a fair question because you're asking me to compare facts to a hypothetical and i don't know if that's necessarily oh, no no but, but my wise. thing is that it's just based on what they did as players because in my view i feel that barcelona are just as or maybe would be probably even more successful if they still had javi because for me and the point that was made by people who said javi would be the bigger losses that javi was this was literally the system yes iniesta messi buskets were important but javi literally never lost the ball so with Javi, Barcelona still have that dominant possession, which they lost when he left. Because when he left, when Enrique came, it was much more of a faster, quicker counter-attacking game about let's just hit it up to those front three and let them do what they do. But with Javi in there, you keep the ball, you dominate the game, and you still have the benefits of the front three of Neymar, the Cannibal, and um, Messi there. I mean, it's, it's tough because they're both... Amazing players, but I think there's a strong argument to be made that Javi would be the, the bigger loss because they lost the central midfield controlling power that Javi had. And, 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 and to the Zidane and Iniesta thing, could, could there be an argument that Zidane's the greater player, but Iniesta's the, Iniesta's the better player? Like where best and great don't necessarily mean the same things. And Zidane might be the greater player in that he has more amazing moments, whether you want to take like two World Cup what well, two World Cups that he basically, well, he he won one final and then dominated the other competition in two thousand six, mm -hmm. and then you have his exploits in the Champions League, etc. Like he might be a greater player in a sense where 
I could kind of make the comparison to where like Henri is a better player than Drogba, but Drogba is probably a greater player than Henri just because of the moments that he had. And I kind of see that with this argument. I, I, I can see how people can say Iniesta is better than Zidane in just terms of just general play and mm-hmm. how he just dominates games in game in game out the touch, like the croquetta and things of that nature. Like he's a, he's a unique player, right? But he doesn't have the moments, I don't think, that Zidane does. Like, Zidane's peaks are greater than Iniesta's peaks, even though Iniesta won the World Cup, right? But Zidane had did that as well. Mm. So that argument, I feel like people might be conflating great and best. Your debate of Zidane versus Iniesta, you did that thing again where you're mistaking aesthetics for quality. So as we've discussed before, you like dribbler players like Robin and Zidane, and you don't particularly care for players that pass the ball loads. So while Iniesta does good, very good dribbling skill, you're always going to prefer Zidane. And that's my take on that. Recommended reads. Um, it's a pointless argument. I can't believe you spent so much time talking about it. Uh, recommended <laughs> reads. Uh, Patrick Vieira talks about his time learning his trade under Arsene Wenger for the ringer. And one is on Zidane, Zidane and how he has developed this sixth sense for making halftime changes for Real Madrid in the Champions League. Just two for you this week because we had seven last week. Do you want to talk about Brick Academy? Um, no, I mean, main updates. Um, Koscielny and, and Mustafi are in Class A. Rafinha has been considered for a scholarship. Um, Hugo Lloris and Benati are in Class B. Did I did I see something on Instagram where a certain superhero might be in the Brick Academy? But then you have to watch the film to understand it, though. That's the thing. That's why, look, Dan... You don't need to watch the other Marvel films. Go pick up a ticket, go to a late matinee and watch Infinity War. The recommended reads are going to be in the description. So make sure you go read those. Carl, where can the people find you? Anchorman616. Have Hope, where can the people find you? That's Have Hope Hot. I'm at Daniel to look. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow us on SoundCloud if you would. Uh, leave iTunes reviews. If it's five stars, we'll read it on next week's show. Talk to this podcast, sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed. We'll see you next week. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.